God the Son prostrated himself before God the Father and he prayed and he said, oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Have you ever wanted the will of God so passionately that you were on your face, on your belly before God in prayer? I'll tell you why some of you have never done that. Because you're self-sufficient and proud. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl will conclude his series titled, The Prayer That Gets Results, as we explore the dominion of faith in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. Let's join Pastor Carl in James chapter 5 now. Do you know how the hunters in Borneo catch the South Sea monkeys? Here's a picture of one. They take a coconut and they tie it to a tree and then they make a hole in the coconut just large enough for the monkey to put his hand through. And in the coconut, they have placed the banana. And the monkey, being a curious animal, will go and he'll look inside the hole. He'll put his hand in there. He'll grab the banana. But because his hand is bigger than the hole, as he squeezes the banana, he cannot extract his hand. Here's another picture. And so when the captor comes, the the monkey will get all excited. He'll scream and he'll plead. I've seen a video on it. Uh, But he'll never let go of the banana. And so they capture him. You say, stupid monkey. Well, we need to say, stupid Christian. We are stupid when we do not relinquish our sin and we hold on to it. How foolish it is to hold on to some sin, some grudge, some habit and that it cancels out the power of prayer in our life. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Prayer like this can accomplish much. You say, well, my prayer doesn't seem to accomplish much. That's why I don't pray much. If your prayer is not accomplishing much, it means one of two things. Either A, you've never been given positional righteousness. You've never been saved. You've never been justified. You may even know the plan of salvation without knowing the man of salvation. You have a head knowledge, but with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Or you have been saved, but you don't have a practical righteousness. You are out of fellowship with God, and so you are not seeing effective prayer. You see that word effective again in the King James? Effective, fervent is the word energo. You can hear our word energy from it. And of course, the participle that's used here is in the middle voice. Unless you had modern English and ninth grade English, you learned all the various verb tenses. You remember that? Say yes. No, maybe not. (laughs) But if you remember the middle voice, it describes not only action that the individual does, but action that is done to the individual. And so there's something we must do. We have to pray. You've got to jump into the water and start swimming. You have to begin to pray. But it's an energy, it's an effective prayer where God is also acting on you. And so the New American Standard 2020 tries to capture it when it says prayer when it is wrought about. So it's trying to bring both aspects of the middle participle that's used here. You know, there's something we do, but there's something that God brings about. So very simply, James is telling us that the petition of an ordinary, everyday child of God is energized when the conditions are met and then God works in that prayer. Well, was there a biblical character 
that captured James's attention, that was a model to him to energize him to be a prayer warrior as old camel knees? And of course there is. Who was it? It was Elijah. Let's read about him, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then it rained, then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So when the Holy Spirit of God inspires James to describe the prophet Elijah, notice what he does not say. He does not say, Elijah was a mighty prophet and preacher of God, and he prayed. Neither does he say, Elijah was a mighty prophet and miracle worker, and he prayed. Or Elijah was a man and a model that no one can match. No, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, Elijah plays a prominent role in Old Testament history. And in James' day, he plays a prominent role. In Judaism, to this day, he plays a prominent role. Why? Because they believe what the prophet Malachi says in the final chapter that Elijah is coming again. And so the Bible speaks of the second coming of Elijah during the great and terrible day of the Lord, during the tribulation period. That's why I suggested to you in our study of the Revelation that Elijah may be one of the two witnesses, just as Moses and Elijah met the Lord in the Mount of Transfiguration. But in either case, he's coming again, and they're looking forward to that. And of course, in the New Testament, Elijah plays an important role. He's mentioned, no less, I counted this week, again, 30 times. Now, when we look at prophets like Elijah, we tend to think that they were just somehow different. They lived in a different world. They breathed different air than we do, that they were not like us. But James wants to underscore they're cut out of the same piece of cloth as all of us here today. The ISV renders this verse, Elijah was a man just like us. The Net Bible says Elijah was a human being like us. The King James translates Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was a normal, everyday human being like you and I. He had the same perplexities, frustrations, doubts, problems uh, that you and I face today. Now hold your finger here and turn to 1 Kings 18. Let's go back and look at 1 Kings 18 for a moment. Because, again, he is writing to a group of people, Jewish Christians, we learned that in the opening verse, and he understands they know something about Elijah. And so here in the epistle of James, he's explicitly teaching us that if Elijah is a man with like passions, if he is a man just like us, then we may be like Elijah in our prayer life. And of course, uh, 1 Kings 18, if you remember, the people of Israel were in idolatry. It was 10 months ago, by the way, that we were here. It seems to me like yesterday. So let me dust off your minds. I did a series on the prophet Elijah 10 months ago. But if you remember, the Jewish people were living in idolatry. So God brought along this prophet who just suddenly appears on the pages of Scripture. And his heart is broken over the sin of the people, and he prays earnestly. And the heavens became like brass, no rain. Everything dies. Ahab's out there just looking for a little grass. The cattle are dying. The crops are gone. How long does it go? Three and a half years. We don't learn that from the Old Testament. You wouldn't know that from First Kings. Ask a Jew today, how long was the drought? They don't know. But Jesus tells us it was three and a half years, as does James tells us it was three and a half years. You found it, 1837. Here he is. Answer me, O Lord. He is, uh, 
about ready to have this big revival. Remember up there on top of Mount Carmel? Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now again, he assumes his first century leaders know something about this man who is not only positionally righteous, he had practical righteousness. Wicked King Ahab is ruling. He was one of Israel's worst kings. He's married to a woman named Jezebel who seems like she is demon-possessed. She certainly has all the marks of it. And they have led the people of Israel into sin as they worship this false god, Baal. Baal, if you remember, was the fertility god. So they were giving credit for the rain and the sunshine and the blessings, not to the one true God, but to this false god, Baal. And so here in 1 Kings 18 we find an illustration of the component parts of effectual fervent prayer. Again, let me dust off your minds and refresh what we studied some time ago. James wants us to see that this is just an ordinary Joe. Certainly, he's a man of God. He's called of God. But he's no different in his humanity than any of us here. Look at verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So the miracle happens, the fire comes down, the sacrifice is consumed, all the people say, there's only one God, how could we be so foolish? Elijah says, Ahab, go back to Jezreel. He heads back, what does Elijah do? He goes to the top of Carmel. Here's a picture, Mount Carmel or Carmel, I don't care however you wanna pronounce it, the Jews say Mount Carmel. Here's the backside of it. Some of you have been here with me. On the very top, you can barely see it. There's a little structure that's run by the Roman Catholics. So the whole miracle took place on this side of it that you're looking at. And if you came all the way down to the bottom of that hill, you can still this day see the brook Kidron. So he's just shy of the peak, and he has his servant that's working with him. He crouched down on his knees, head between his knees, he prays over and over and over and over again. Now, Elijah has not eaten or drunk that day. He's kind of like the Lord Jesus. Jesus was so consumed at the work one day. He said, Lord, you haven't eaten anything. He said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Have you ever been involved in the work of the Lord? We just, just forget. I've been so busy. I, I haven't eaten since breakfast. Here it is, nine o'clock. That's Elijah. He's just consumed with the work of God. And the needs and the desires, desires of the flesh are secondary to him. He's interested here in the work of the Lord. He is a man who pictures praying without ceasing. So one, there's a place he prays. Why this place? Well, at this point, he goes to the top. It's quiet. It's isolated. It's his prayer closet, so to speak. And again, I hope you have a quiet, secluded place where you can pray it's his prayer closet. And he goes there to be quiet and still before the Lord. Do you have a place like that? When was the last time you were in it? There shouldn't be a week that goes by when you don't get in a place like that. Look, the success and blessing of God, whether it's in your ministry or the raising of your children, 
It's indexed to your time alone with God in prayer. Look at verse 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. I skipped that verse, but I'm coming back to it here. Go up, eat and drink. Now listen, this is an incredible statement. Go up, eat and drink. He doesn't tell him to repent. Why? Because he doesn't have a heart to repent. Go celebrate King Ahab. This three and a half year drought, it's over. How did he know that? According to verse 43, there's not a cloud in the sky. But he says with great confidence here, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So the curious reader can say, well, how, how does he know that? He knows it through the ear of faith. Because the ear of faith hears what you cannot see. Remember Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so he had a promise from God, and God had promised it was going to rain. And though there's not a cloud in the sky, he believes it. And he says, you better head down to Jezreel because I hear the sound of a mighty shower. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Now, the Bible here mentions his posture, not to give us a pattern that we necessarily have to follow, but understand a man's posture, a woman's posture, is outward evidence of an inward reality. Now, I can pray on my bed at night. David did. I like to go to bed often listening to Scripture, and I fall asleep. Now, I wouldn't want to prepare for the sermon going to bed because it usually only takes about 10 minutes, and I'm out. But that's different, that kind of prayer, than the kind of prayer that he has here. I'm not half asleep when I'm in my prayer closet. There's an earnestness here. Do you remember the earnestness of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? In Mark 14, it says he fell to the ground. In Luke 22, it says he knelt down. And then Matthew elaborates even further. He fell on his face and he prayed. God the Son prostrated himself before God the Father. And he prayed and he said, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Have you ever wanted the will of God so passionately that you were on your face, on your belly before God in prayer? I'll tell you why some of you have never done that. Because you're self-sufficient and proud. I told a brother, I said, I've told this to many a brother. I said, if you and your wife will get on your knees instead of fighting 24-7 and talking the problem over, but get on your knees and pray about it. You know what? God can do something. He came up to me, as many of these guys have. You know what, Pastor? I took your advice, and our marriage is different. I can't believe it. <laughs> Don't be shocked. God answers earnest prayer. I think of Mark 1.35 in reference to the Lord now in the morning. Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and he prayed there. That's Mark 1.35. And it's an interesting day. There are 52 days that are recorded in the life of Christ in the four Gospels. 
In this particular day where he gets up early before the light even comes up of the sun is one of the busiest recorded days in the life of Christ. It was a day that was filled with miracles, healing, teaching, and preaching as you put all the accounts together. And yet, he gets up early because it's his need to pray. If you've ever been in full-time ministry or if you even have a job where you are constantly, habitually intersecting with people, then you know the drain. Jesus knew that, and he saw his need. Now, if that was his need, what's your need? What's my need? So here's Elijah. You know why he's so bold, and he can preach the way he does to King Ahab? Because before he ever has an audience with an earthly king, he has had an audience with the king of kings. He's been in the presence of God Almighty And James has already told us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that you always need to be kneeling or prostrate before God, but I want to tell you something. If that's never been your posture, there's a problem in your life. And today would be a good day to take some inventory. You think it's by accident that a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Prayer, it's hard work. Look at verse 43. He said to his servant, go up now. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Go up now. Look toward the sea. If you go to the top of Mount Carmel, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. It's right there looked toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. Six times, he sent his servant to the crest of the hill. He asked, what do you see? He comes back each time, nothing. Look at verse 44. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. Now, the progression is important. It's a progression of expectant, persistent prayer. He's crouched down. He's in a quiet place. He has his head between his knees. He comes up for air. Go check. Comes, goes back down. Comes back, nothing. Go check. Comes, what if he quit on the fifth or sixth time? There would have been no rain. But he stayed with it. Go back seven times. And finally, when you come to verse 45, the sky grows black with clouds and a wind, and there's the actual heavy shower. Again and again and again and again and again and again, seven times, he doesn't quit. You know, some of us have quit. I prayed 10 years for one of my sisters to come to Christ. I prayed 18 years for another sister to come to Christ. And I prayed over 30 years for one of my brothers to come to Christ. You say, well, God says it's going to rain. What does Elijah need to do? He needs to pray. Because what you find here is the intersection between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God gave a promise, and we need to be doing what Elijah did. We need to be pleading and pleading the promises of God. Find out what Scripture says and take them to the throne of grace. Go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of the heavy roar of a heavy shower. That was a promise. Now, by the way, I think it's interesting that God does not answer prayer in the same way every time. 
In the case of him dealing with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah, it's an immediate hot and immediate prayer, and God brings the fire down from heaven. But then he has a delayed wet prayer here. I mean, he's praying, and he's praying, and it's not immediate. And then, of course, there's a time you can read about it in the 19th chapter. He prays for something, and God just flat out says, no, it wouldn't be good for your life. So for obvious reasons, God can answer immediately, but his timing is always perfect. Sometimes prayer just seems to be effortless, and there's an immediate answer. And sometimes it's agonizing. And I'll tell you, when you go through those agonizing prayers... You just fall on your face and you thank God because you know he did it. George Mueller, many of you know him for the orphanages he ran in Great Britain, a great man of faith. After he was converted, shortly after, I read in one book, the day he was converted, he prayed for one particular friend. In fact, he prayed for that friend to find the Lord his entire life. And he did at his funeral. Persistent, earnest prayer, verse 45. In a little while, the sky grew black, the clouds and the wind, and there was a heavy shower. Verse 46, then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Here's a map, Mount Carmel to Jezreel. It's 18 miles. Picture this. Here's Ahab. He gets in his chariot, and Ahab takes that garment. He tucks it in or takes it off and off he goes, and he outruns this man all the way to Jezreel. It's incredible. He is bent in prayer, but now he is energized from that prayer. That's what God does. And I love the phrase here, the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah. What a great statement to be said of you or me. The hand of the Lord is on your life. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Earnest prayer brings great blessing. You know what I want for this church more than anything else? I just want the hand of God to be on it. And it comes when we corporately, together, pray. Some of you have been praying on Wednesday nights in your home. You've gone during this month to the homepage. You've clicked on that icon, and there's a list of prayer requests. We need that. We need it in our marriages. We need it in the raising of our children. We need it if we are to wage war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, notice how the letter concludes. My, I'm preaching long, but thank you for listening. You want a cheap sermon? Come to the first hour. <laughs> My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Now, I suppose as born-again Christians, we are more successful in bringing people into the kingdom than we are restoring someone who has fallen. Do you remember Paul's advice writing in the margin, Galatians 6.1, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, now listen to the qualifications and the warning, you who are spiritual should club him. No, not exactly. You who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Those of you who are medical doctors can appreciate the term because Paul uses a medical term of a compound fracture of two bones that are out of joint, and they're brought back together. Each one, he adds, look into yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. 
In other words, don't take the pious attitude if you're the one who is spiritually mature who's called to restore this brother. Like, that could never happen to me. Man, he's messed up his marriage. He's been immoral. That could never happen to me. As soon as you start thinking that way, you're tempting the devil to tempt you. Remember Peter on the night the Lord was betrayed? Lord, I don't know about the rest of these guys. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. Of course, he denies him three times that night. James is recognizing when people read a letter like this that we're going to notice some people who once served in the army faithfully, but they have gone somewhere, they've disappeared. And he wants us to be in a search and rescue mission. It's well been said the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. We need to rescue those who have fallen. We need to go with gentleness. We need to go with humility, watching for ourselves lest we too be tempted. What a great epistle James is. You say, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever really seen an answer to prayer. Some of the things that seemingly were answers could have just happened. I can't say, this is a direct answer from the hand of God Almighty. Maybe because you've never been saved. And I can promise you there's one prayer he will answer. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. A Pharisee went into the temple one day and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But the other man, with a broken heart, said, even unwilling to look up into heaven, he was so filled with shame and guilt, God, be merciful to me, literally the sinner. One man went home dignified. The other man went home justified. One man was ready to drop into hell lest he repent. The other man was ready to step into heaven because he was saved. God will answer the prayer of the repentant sinner and he will save you and forgive you and though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be as white as wool. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning for the promises of this short little letter. Thank you for allowing us to study it these eight months. We're so grateful for the things that we've learned. Help us to apply, as James said, right in the front end of this letter, not just to be those who hear the word, but those who obey it. Lord Jesus, we think of you when you went into the temple to pray at the beginning of your ministry and then at the end and how you cleansed it. And in your righteous anger, you turned over the tables. Ministry that was nothing more than merchandising. And you said that this house should be a house of prayer. Well, we know that you no longer have a literal temple in which you appear, but you have made us the temple of the living God, both corporately and individually. And may it be said in your grace that this temple is a house of prayer. And we ask it to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message concludes Dr. Brogy's exposition of the book of James. 
If you missed any of Pastor Carl's messages, please remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 015. Maybe you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Carl personally. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.